Welcome to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. Sydney Ideas is the University of Sydney's public events program, providing you with the opportunity to hear leading thinkers from our university and around the world. Enjoy the podcast. Really done a fabulous job in 
bringing this all together. As I said to Mr. Barton, this event is a sellout. So without further ado, I would like to hand over to Professor Greg Whitlock, who is our Dean of our Business School, to commence the proceedings. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. Brief introduction from me, ladies and gentlemen. It's an enormous pleasure to have Carlos Cohen with us this afternoon. I've been studying him for some time, and I'd recommend if you haven't bought it, a little bit out of date now, his book Drive, which tells something about his quite remarkable journey. It's easy just to focus, I think, on his quite extraordinarily rapid ascent, starting as a plant manager for Michelin in 1981, and I won't go through all the things that eventually happened during his career at Michelin. But he did eventually become chairman and CEO of Michelin North America. After that, took a job at Renault. Um, that's in 1996, where he became originally the executive vice president. Then in 1999, he becomes the chief operating officer um, of, of, of Nissan. And two years later, in 2001, he's president and CEO of Nissan. Four years later, in 2005, he adds the title of president and CEO of Renault. And other appointments followed, including late last year, his appointment as uh, chairman of the board of Mitsubishi Motors Corporation. Today, Mr. Gon is chairman of the board at Nissan and chairman and CEO of the Renault-Nissan Alliance, one of the world's largest automotive groups. It's one thing, and it's an easy thing to do to just go through the various appointments that Mr. Gohan has had. I think it's another thing altogether to reflect on what he's, able, what he's been able to achieve in his roles. He's famous, as many of you will know, for being the architect of a dramatic turnaround in Renault's performance in the mid to late 1990s. He's famous even more so, I think, for the impressive, if not in fact quite extraordinary turnaround in, in Nissan, which in the period, I think the eight years before he took over there in 1999, seven of those eight years um, had run at a loss and indeed was the most indebted car maker in the world. By fiscal 2003, a mere four years after he had taken on the job of transforming that company, it had become the globe's most profitable major automobile manufacturer. His transformation of first Renault earned him the nickname of, and I'll try to put on a French accent, Le Cosquillaire. Um, his turnaround of Nissan saw him acquire the new nickname of Mr. Fixit. In my view, neither cost killer nor Fixit do justice to the period since the Nissan turnaround. They don't capture, in my view, the extent to which Mr. Gohan for many years, for many, many years now, has been so innovative, so imaginative, and so focused on the future of his industry, the disruptions that it faces, and its responsibilities in a world challenged by climate change. So, Let's focus today on the future rather than the past. And that future involves, of course, in part electric cars. And it's worth remembering that the launch of the Nissan LEAF in December 2010 marked the world's first mass market electric 
vehicle. And that future, of course, also involves autonomous cars, and Nissan is on track, so they promise us, to deliver an autonomous car by 2020. Let's focus on the future, and I have the pleasure of inviting Mr. Carlos Ghosn to talk to me now. Thank you.
somebody getting into my car, putting the button, accepting my email, looking at my photos, having my data. I'm not going to do it. So I think that the connectivity of the car, the fact that it's becoming a mobile space, is going to go against shared cars. I'm not saying that shared cars are not on the bus. They're going to be bus, but for particular use. But if you have a car and you have all your personal data and your personal uh, you know, systems, and we, we don't want to share those. And we're seeing that in many, many situations today, people continue to use their car as a personal belonging, even with a lot of media incentive from governments and administrations, uh, because still you want this space to be private. Let me ask you a question about potential shifts in the value proposition of the automobile. Mm. And I'm, I'm thinking of two quite different possibilities. One of them be that there is a new generation who, because of their age or because they simply don't have the funds, are yet to own a car and may never do so. But what they have experienced is Uber. And as a result, they may see the car uh, purely in terms of utility. It's something that gets them from point A to point B. Another argument might be, and it's a very different one, is that advances in hardware and software will cause the automobile value proposition shift increasingly to be about the personalization of the driving experience, which is not necessarily about connectivity, it's really about the ability to have the driver and the passenger compartment adapt to one's lifestyle and personality. It's all about adaptability, the value proposition. Do you think there'll be a shift in the value proposition of automobiles in which yeah. one can think? No, I, I think you're going to have a lot of variation around the use of the cars, but if, again, It's 
today with autonomous cars, with uh, all the innovation coming from the tech companies, we're looking very seriously at this, and we are adapting the technology, and we are partnering with the tech companies to make this happen. That's why I don't buy the theories that breakthrough are going to come from outside of the city, <laughs> because the industry is open, and because we know that the risk for us is not to be open to the transformation of our industry, and if we want to be relevant,
everybody, everybody preserving, preserving the space. I think we've got about five minutes to go. So I know there's a line up. We've not had a chance to ask a question. So perhaps we could go for it, and then if time.
Pakistanis were very popular. Company which frequently ties and which is with the alliance practically at the top level of the military. So I think people can do a lot of things. It's really a competition to them how to give them more number of priorities. And if they feel that their leadership is committed, that means their leaders are putting their skin on the game. That's the most motivating thing you can do if you want to influence them. Mm. And fortunately, my opinion, including my opinion, sitting uncomfortably in front of the <coughs> and we've run out of time. There's so many things that we could have asked. Uh, we're getting unanswered uh, answers, questions about democracy and science, Europe and Europe, back to the future. But in terms of what the potentials are still set to require of the work of women and that piece that we've run out of time. I don't think everyone fully appreciates the kind of lifestyle Thanks for listening to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. For more information about our upcoming events or to listen to more podcasts, head to sydney.edu.au forward slash sydney underscore ideas.